Hello and welcome to the Liron Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business and marketing and communication in a hybrid world. I am Liron Glickman, your host, the global business development specialist and business relationship and personal branding strategist and speaker. On this show today, we'll get to talk about the notion of sound in business and in communication and how to maximize your personal and business potential through sound. And to discuss this fascinating topic, I invited Mr. Julian Treasure, an international sound expert. Julian, how are you today? I'm well, thanks. Nice to be here, Lorraine. Awesome to have you with us. And I'm really looking forward to learning a lot from you about sound. Um, before we dive in, I would like to introduce you uh, to our viewers and listeners. So just so you know, uh, Julian Treasure, he founded the Sound Agency in 2003, and he's the author of The Sound Business and the best-selling How to Be Heard book, and another book will come out in a few months. He's a fellow uh, of the Royal Society of Arts. Uh, he has been featured as a sound expert in the world's media, such as Times Magazine, The Economist, and The Times, uh, to a dozen of top podcasts. His five TED Talks uh, have attracted over 150 million views, which is amazing. And uh, for an introduction, I will add next to this video, um, his uh, TED Talk uh, titled The Four Ways Sound Affects Us. Now, Julian, we're just talking today, um, and in this very uh, moment, the Eurovision Song Contest is actually taking place um, in Liverpool in the UK. And, you know, their title is United by Sound. And I think it's so symbolic because this is actually what you're doing, I guess, how to unite people, connect people to their notion of sound. Very Are much so, yes. Music? Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yes, because sound is around us all the time. It affects us profoundly. And uh, yet most people are not conscious of these effects. You know, we've gone pretty much deaf to sound because we're such a visual culture. We're obsessed with, you know, using our fingers and our eyes to communicate. So, yes, I'm, I'm on a mission to get people listening. Exactly. And that's, um, there's so much to it. So before we dive in, I'll just uh, kind of give a few, the few, a few topics that we will cover in our conversation is how to listen better, as you mentioned, uh, so we could improve our results, a way to use vocal sound to connect and influence, how to utilize sound to create possibly competitive edge for your startup or company. And I have to ask you questions around the AI and how it actually impacts um, and how we can benefit from it. So before we dive in, um, I would like to know what brought you to work with sound in the first place. I mean, you're, you're well regarded around the world with your work and expertise, but what is the primary message that you have decided to convey uh, in, in that aspect? Never have we needed listening more than we do now. And really um, <clears throat> over the years, uh, you know, I've been working specifically in sound for two decades now, and um, before that, very conscious of sound because I was a musician from a very young age. And uh, musicians, I think, listen slightly differently to non-musicians. Um, it's been established they have enlarged areas of the brain and certain neural functions which are enhanced. Uh, because if you're playing in a band or an orchestra, you've got to have a multi-track listening you have to listen to all the other instruments otherwise you're not playing very well and uh, you also have to be very attentive and focused in your listening so i think that training feeds through into yeah. life it certainly did for me and it left me after 
a couple of decades in marketing. I was running a, I launched and, and uh, eventually sold a magazine publishing company producing customer magazines in the UK for companies like Microsoft and Apple and so forth. Um, all the way through that, I'd been conscious that most companies are not making a, a good sound. And so when I sold my magazine company, I, I launched the sound agency and the proposition was, uh, how does your brand sound? It was the question we were asking. And obviously the first question I had to answer was, does it matter? Does it matter that organizations are making lots of terrible sound? And the answer is yes, it does. Yeah. And that's where I researched and formulated this model of the four effects of sound, which is that first TED talk. Sound affects our bodies, our feelings, our thinking, and our behavior. And all of those can be very, very powerful and have huge commercial effects. So organizations which simply ignore sound, you know, they have a brand book, hundreds of pages yeah. about logos, typefaces, colors, and so forth. How many pages are about sound? I always ask the marketing director. None is the regular reply. So it's ignored completely. And yet it has these profound effects on how long we stay in a shop or what we buy or how strongly we feel about a brand, what we do, how well we can think and so forth. And, you know, we can talk about sound in offices, for example, um, which is devastating around the world. The number one problem uh, in offices, in hospitals, in schools mm. is noise, noise, always noise. So it's a kind of hidden problem. It's yeah. a hidden killer. And if you look at the world's political situation, I think anyone would agree. Never have we needed to listen more than we do now. Uh, it's it's the lack of listening which leads to all of these yeah. silos and extreme caucuses of you know people who who reinforce each other's extreme views and don't listen to antithetical views at all. Yeah, you know, Barack Obama once said, "I will listen to you, especially if we disagree," mm -hmm. and that's rare these days. People don't yeah. want to listen to people with whom they disagree; they just shout at them. And in the UK, we've now got this epidemic of what's called cancel culture, where if somebody's got an opinion you don't agree with, you deplatform them, you don't allow them to speak. Well, that's, that's not right in my book. We need to be listening, trying to understand each other. And of course, in business, if you're a great listener, there are some huge advantages, uh, commercial advantages yeah. to that. And of course, it helps you to be a great speaker, which is equally very important. Definitely. And, and you know, as, as you just explained it, I um, the thing that came to mind was how, you know, listening is, again, we do it all the time, every day. But do we really listen to, I think, as you said, to to be, to understand, to be heard? Um, I mean, it's, it's so profound in our life, but yet we still need to learn how to use it. So, so how do we approach listening? I mean, what are the primary risks associating with declining listening abilities? You may have just mentioned a few. And, and where should we focus our, our efforts to really improve our listening skills? Well, if you think about, a, take a squirrel or any small animal, any animal actually, because there is not mm -hmm. a vertebrate on this planet that doesn't have ears. So yeah. hearing is incredibly important to them. They are using it to keep themselves safe. So it's the primary warning mechanism. Yeah. And that's still true for you and me. I mean, if, if a twig yeah. snaps behind you in a forest, you spin around. So yeah. hearing goes very deep, very fast, even for us sophisticated human beings, that's true, it's primal. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they're listening for 
reward, for profit, if you like, for food, for a mate, for all those kind of things. You know, there's lots of animals that make sounds in order to connect and communicate in those ways. Uh, so <clears throat> I think um, listening is incredibly important, but we've kind of got dislocated from it. Once upon a time, we did listen very, very carefully. If you were going into a cave uh, 20,000 years ago and it might have a saber-toothed tiger or a bear in it, you listened really carefully. And while you were in there, you listened really. It was, it was survival. That's not the case so much anymore, as you can tell if you see people cycling around wearing headphones. You know, we've kind of yeah. lost contact with this important aspect of listening being key to our survival. Um, and so that's one thing. We've become disconnected in that way from the natural world and from each other. So you have the paradigm of, you know, a family sitting around a table, everybody looking at their hand, typing, nobody talking to anybody. Yeah. That's becoming quite common, you know, as a TED talk about that uh, from um, <clears throat> Sherry Turkle, who mm -hmm. I met at TED, and uh, her book Alone Together is precisely about this kind of way of behaving where we're, <clears throat> we're replacing a small number of deep connections with a large number of very shallow ones. Yeah. So, so that's yes. one that's one aspect of it. But but there are many, many other aspects of listening, uh, which um, feed through commercially and also in our relationships. I mean, what's the biggest complaint in relationships? He or she, she never listens to me Yeah. Uh, in, in work. You know, if you get bosses who don't listen to people, how many good ideas get wasted because people aren't listening and they think they know everything? Uh, you know, so there's a huge amount of benefit to listening, to understanding to relating commercially and in our happiness. So I always bring it down to three things, actually, our happiness, our effectiveness, and our well-being. Mm -hmm. Happiness, effectiveness, and well-being. And so much has to do with, with just being conscious about our listening and, and just listen. You just remind me, as you said, because, you know, I find myself sometimes walking down the street and, you know, my head is unfortunately in my phone and I kind of disconnect so I don't really hear what's 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 around me and, and that's actually can be very dangerous um and it's amazing how you know it's just I feel like it, the listening part disconnects from you know what where my focus is which again it's it shouldn't be this way so thanks for bringing it to my attention now you you obviously sound has different effects on us and and I want to focus on on our voice. You know, sound has also has um, sensory, obviously uh, like memory related uh, um, aspect to it, and and many people don't like to hear their own voices. So, in what ways does the sound of of our voice impact how we perceived by others, especially in the professional settings? If I'm if I'm working in a company or I own my own startup and I need to, you know, sell it to customers or investors. Well, equally, the voice has been a primal form of communication for as long as human beings have been human beings, and mm -hmm. you know, even our our distant ancestors. Uh, you know, we've been around for something like three hundred thousand years. That's Homo sapiens. Writing was only invented 4,000 years ago, roughly. So for the vast majority of human history, all communication has yeah. been by speaking and listening. And that's after we invented language, which possibly, you know, maybe 150,000 yeah. years ago. And before that, possibly what Stephen Mython in his wonderful book, The Singing Neanderthals, calls a proto-hum, uh, where we expressed ourselves vocally, but without words, probably. Um, so language, is, uh, speaking, our voice 
is incredibly important. And yet again, it's been marginalized. You know, we, in school, we teach reading and writing. We do not teach speaking or listening. This is madness. These are incredibly important skills and they are skills. This instrument that we all play, the human voice is given to us. I mean, we'll have basic equipment, but if you wanted to walk on stage at a big venue and play the piano, I think you might do some training. You might practice, you might learn to master the instrument. And yet, you know, when I speak around the world, uh, you know, I, I go and speak at organizations and, and conferences and so forth about the importance and the power of speaking and listening and how to do them well. So, you know, maybe a, a thousand CEOs in the audience and I say to them, how many of you use your voice in your job, whether it's to media or teams yeah. or on stages, everybody puts their hand up. Yeah. Okay. How many of you have had formal vocal training? about six and again what's going on here if the voice is so important if speaking is a way that you can inspire a team lead people powerfully sell persuade get your message across well for goodness sake train you wouldn't go and run 100 meters against olympic uh, champions with no training at all if you did you'd look a bit silly and the same applies with the voice you know so uh, that is something that i'm very passionate about it's it's it really behooves all of us to maximize what we're given now not everybody is given a wonderful voice you know actors uh, tend to self-select because they've got a great voice and that's part of how they become successful we haven't all got that but we can practice and uh, that's what my ted talk how to speak so that people want to listen was all about it's what i call the vocal toolbox the things that we can start to use and become conscious of which will really amp up the power of our speaking and create different effects and different outcomes in our lives because yeah. we'll be that much more charismatic persuasive and powerful so you know what my my next my next question is is if you could share with us a few tips i would say how to convey ourselves better in a powerful way or even persuasion like how can we use our voice a voice to 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 impact any communication settings well now i think we need to th- take a step back at this point um Liram, and um talk about the circle of communication most people think it's a straight line i speak you listen straight line it's not it's yeah. a circle And that is a dynamic circle that's happening all the time. The way I speak affects the way you listen. The way you listen affects the way I speak and round and round. And there's more to it than that. It's organic. It's happening all the time. So in order to be a powerful speaker, it's very important to be conscious of the person on the other side. And that's why I say we need to go back to listening because everybody listens in a different way. Yeah. The most common mistake I, I see people making is to assume everybody listens like I do. They don't. We all listen through a set of filters, and those filters are associated with where we're born, the culture we're born into, the language we learn to speak, uh, and then the values, attitudes, and beliefs that we pick up along the way from parents, role models, friends, and so forth, teachers. 
And then in any given situation, we might have emotions going on. We might have aspirations or expectations about what's going to happen, intentions about what's going to happen, and assumptions about how things work and what's going on in other people's heads. So all of that stuff colors our listening. Yeah. Hearing is a capability. Listening is a skill, and it's unique to each person. Now, when you understand that, you can start to speak more accurately. What do I mean by that? Ask yourself the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? Mm -hmm. Because it's not the same as yours. Now, that person may, for example, have had a frazzled journey to this meeting. You know, they're upset about something, have had bad news. That's going to change their listening. Or, you know, they speak a different language. They come from a different culture. They have a different listening then. And it's important to be conscious of that listening all the time. Asking yourself that question is all you have to do. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you will naturally pick up on this and become better and better at it as you ask the question over and over. So whether it's one person or a thousand people, mm -hmm. what's the listening I'm speaking into? Wow. And you'll know as a professional speaker, the listening at 2 p.m. just after lunch is very different from the listening at 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have to adapt to these things. And maybe if you get that, what they call the graveyard slot, uh, yeah. which I often get, you know, he's a TED speaker, he can cope with it. Um, you have to amp up your performance yeah. a bit. You have to, you know, make it bigger and more dynamic and maybe challenge or surprise or, you know, bring them back into the room and get them back on track when yeah. they're digesting their lunch and a bit sleepy and so forth. So the listening changes. What's the listening I'm speaking into is the question. That is how you can hit the bullseye instead of missing the target altogether. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of that, of course, we've got the vocal toolbox, which is becoming a master of the voice. So you oh. can change what yeah. you're doing according to the listening, the pace, for example, with which you speak. Mm -hmm. If you're speaking to somebody who's very, very slow, then you might want to slow down a bit to be in, in the their world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if you're talking like this and the person is very slow, they'll just go, whoa, yeah. too much. So uh, pace, volume, uh, and also things like timbre uh, are very important. Now, the timbre of your voice is something you can work on. People tend to like voices which are the way you would describe a, a hot chocolate, uh, rich, smooth, sweet, dark, warm, you know, those kind of words. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't all get blessed with one of those at birth, but yeah. you can work on it to move to, in that direction. And, and if you want to do that, you can get a vocal coach and do some work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really worth it. Pitch of course, yeah. is very important too. Uh, and prosody or prosody, which is the variation in pitch and mm. in pacing, which makes everything make sense. Yeah. So, you know, what you don't want to be doing is something that's repetitive or monotonic. Monotone means one tone. So yeah. that would be speaking on one note the whole time with no prosody whatsoever, which is not very interesting at all and is going to send people to sleep. That will. And so will a repetitive cadence. Yeah. So if I go down like this at every sentence, and then the next sentence I say in exactly wow. the same way, and I keep on repeating that, what I'm going to do is basically hypnotize everybody. They yeah. go into a kind of coma, and uh, you, you get a, an audience that's almost half asleep. So variation is key. Being conscious of the tools and how you can use them 
and mm. vary them appropriately. So, uh, you know, we talked about culture yeah. earlier. Well, that's a big difference, you know. Uh, if you, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I did a talk in Helsinki once in the wonderful um, music center there with incredible acoustics designed by Toyota, one of the great Japanese acoustic uh, architect engineers. Yeah. And I thought I did a pretty good job on this talk. And at the end of it, there was like, I thought, oh, no, I bombed. Mm -hmm. And I went and had a coffee and people were coming up to me in the coffee saying, oh, that was one of the best talks we have ever had. Now, as Finns for you, they're very taciturn, quiet yeah. people. They don't do this sort of whooping and hollering that you might get in America if you yeah. give a great talk uh, or indeed in Israel, where people are much more lively and uh, upfront and passionate and extrovert and so forth, uh, by and large. I mean, not everybody, of course. Uh, so being conscious of these national or cultural differences in listening is very important in terms of you kind of relating and getting feedback from the audience and also you speaking in a way that they can understand. Yeah. Uh, so speaking into the listening, I think that's the absolutely critical thing to do. Definitely. You gave, a, you gave me such a great, great tips now around that. And, you know, you mentioned, obviously, the cultural differences. And, and also in our preliminary talk, we call, we talked about, about Israel. I mean, we perceive ourselves as, as warm and passionate. But then in global settings, it may many times comes across as impulsive, aggressive. We're too loud. We're loud people. Uh, talk over one another and... And, you know, I mean, for us, it may seem okay, but when it comes to business, again, that can really be a deal breaker. I remember a good friend of mine, um, he's actually from, from the Midlands and, and the UK, and he was working for Rolls-Royce. He was selling engines to the airline, and he told me that he's been to um, to meeting at the Israeli airlines. And one of the, the big boss in the room was talking, you know, very loudly, and he just banged on the table. And he was like, you know, he didn't understand what happened. And, and after a bit, you just realize, okay, this is the culture. If I won't be loud, I won't be heard. So that refers to what you're saying about listening and maybe try to, to adapt yourself, even though you're not coming from the same culture. But if you won't show his a bit, maybe aggressiveness, he may just not be heard or won't be able to sell. And that could, again, result in business results. That's absolutely right. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, we don't have to go the whole hog here. Um, yeah. I, I am a great fan of contracts and agreements uh, verbally. Yeah. So, for example, one of the questions people often ask me is, look, I've got a boss who just doesn't listen to me, doesn't uh, he talks over me, interrupts or whatever, or a relationship or whoever it may be, somebody doing yeah. that to you. Well, a great thing to do with a person like that is to make a contract with them. Okay, Liron, I've got something really important to say to you. Can you give me five minutes where you really listen to me, please? Simple. Now, you can say yes or no to that. If you say no, then we know that that's not gonna happen now, in which case I would say, when would you be able to? Um, and we make a contract. And, and then I think I've got a right, even if you're a passionate table-thumping Israeli who, inter who, who naturally interrupts a lot, maybe, <laughs> um, yeah. I've got a right to say, you did say you'd listen to me for five minutes. Yeah. So I think that kind of contract, even if I'm a quiet person and I don't feel comfortable becoming uh, you know, big and extrovert and table-thumping, yeah. I can actually make a space where perhaps my quieter voice can be heard mm -hmm. with that kind of a contract. 
think that's a great tip. And also, uh, I would even take it to to women. Again, I'm generalizing, but many times women in the work setting feel less comfortable to um, sh to share their thoughts, especially in you know mixed settings. And so it could be for you know people who has little confidence or nervous to speak in meetings or to their bosses. So as you said creating such a contract or asking for the attention until I finish my my thoughts, um, I think that's a very, very great tool that everybody could use in, in the right settings. And, uh, you know, in the business presentation, for example, uh, I mean, there are some things people do which confuse me a lot. How many people set a start time for a meeting and not a finish time? And mm. it's kind of naturally assumed it's an hour, yeah. but maybe it only needs to be a 10 minute meeting yeah. or maybe it needs to be a two hour meeting uh, so i think it's very important to make that contract the start time and a finish time for a meeting and an objective and what are we actually aiming to achieve in this meeting and if you have that then everybody's pointing in the same direction and trying to achieve the same thing as opposed to people just rocking up and going okay what are we talking about here yeah which is not very productive so really, again, it will help us to, I think they call the Ericsson rule, right? So we, we use the time that we have in the best way and, and the same way we can think what we want to say uh, and use the words um, to fill in the right time, uh, the right time that we've set. Definitely. I mean, there's um, one, of the, one of the tools that I talk about uh, in my TED Talk on listening, I think bears repeating here. It's a tool called Rasa, and that's the Sanskrit word for juice. Um, R-A-S-A, but in this context, it's an acronym, which stands for Receive, Appreciate, Summarize, Ask. Yeah. Now, this is a very good acronym for a conversation at, or indeed for a meeting. So receive means paying attention to the person who's speaking. That means looking at them, not okay. tapping away on a phone. Oh, I am listening to you. No, you're sending a text. That's a different thing. You know, Scott Peck, the uh, wonderful American author and psychologist said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. So listening means look at the person, give them your full attention. Now, dear listeners and viewers, when is the last time you gave somebody 100% of your attention when they were speaking? We're out of the habit of doing that. We're multitasking all the time. It's tapping away or it's doing, no, I'm listening. I'm just, no, I am listening to you. No, you're not. You're yeah. doing something else. So it's a great gift that you can give. And I, I mean, maybe after you've uh, listened to this podcast, go and listen to somebody, yeah. give them total dedicated attention. You might get the uh, response, what are you doing? Mm -hmm because they're not used to it, yeah. you know? um, but it's a wonderful <laughs> gift to give. Uh, so that's the R of Rasa. Uh, the A is appreciate. And that's the little noises we make in mm -hmm. conversation that show that we're there and we're on the same page and we're on the same journey. Mm. Mm. Oh, really? Mm. You know, little gestures like eyebrow raises, head nods and bobs and smiles and whatever. Yeah. The S is summarize and that's really important in meetings particularly mm -hmm. what is it they say about meetings places where you take minutes and waste hours and that's often because you don't have a so person in the meeting so what we've all agreed is this now can we move on to the next thing or so in a conversation you know between two people the so can close doors in the corridor of the yeah. conversation so you move forward so what i understand you just said is this did i get that right Yep. Okay. Now let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. So summarizing in that way, 
is very, very powerful in terms yeah. of closing things off and moving on. And, and then the A, yeah. sorry, go on. Sorry, saying summarize and acknowledging what was said. So we are, you know, and now we can move on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or checking that you got it. You know, yeah. so did I, let me just check. I understood what you said there. This is that what you meant? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it, it's a check-in thing as well. And then the A is ask questions at the end. So open-ended questions like where, what, why, which, when, who, those kind of questions which do not permit the answer yes or no. And these are a great way, again, one of the most common uh, questions I get is I don't feel confident speaking with, you know, there are some very powerful people around. I don't feel confident speaking yeah. to them. Um, well, a great way to engage with those people is to ask them questions because people love being asked. They love talking about themselves or their passionate topic or whatever it might be. Yeah. And you can try and form a bridge. So, yeah, that was really interesting what you just said. I wonder in which way does it relate to this thing I do know something about? And yeah. then you can move the conversation into an area that you actually feel more confident in. So Rasa, receive, yeah. appreciate, summarize, ask. Amazing. And, and, and as you said, it really helps connecting between people. I always say that, um, that in order to connect to people, um, I recommend to use the oldest trick in the book, which is just to ask and advise. And as you mentioned, people love to share their thoughts and it really engages them and, and usually uh, makes them want to give us more than we asked. Um, yeah. You mentioned, you talked a bit about the, mm -hmm, like this voice, voices that we make to show that we listen and, and acknowledgement. Are there any vocal habits that we should avoid that you recommend us to be aware of? Yes. Um, in my TED talk, the, the last one, the one that went absolutely ballistic, yeah. actually, it's quite interesting. The TED talk on speaking uh, has been seen by at least five times as many people as the TED talk on listening. Now, that says something to me about the priorities that we have in the world at the moment. People are much keener to be heard than to listen. So we're much more sending orientated than receiving orientated. And the two things, as I said earlier on, are very related. And so, but the question I get is very often, you know, I can't get heard and, and, and so forth. And um, a big part of the answer to that um, not being heard uh, thing uh, is to ask as you said, a question and open the conversation and, and be listening to the other person. The more you listen to somebody else, the more they will listen to you. Um, so habits to avoid that I mentioned in that talk were, I called them the seven deadly sins of, of speaking. Uh, things like gossip, not a very nice habit. And although it's quite seductive to listen to, uh, we all know that when we walk away from the group, the person's going to start gossiping about us. And we also know that a lot of gossip is just made up. It's not true. It's not helpful or kind. So gossip, not very good. Um, judgmentalism or condemnation. You know, somebody who's inveterately negative and condemning. I think we've many of us have worked for bosses like that. It's not a nice place to be when somebody's so ferocious and uh, determined to find fault it becomes very difficult to tell them bad news, for example, and that can be immensely destructive. I mean, I worked in an organization where the boss was so ferocious, people were so frightened, they started making up good news and hiding bad news, and it had a devastating effect on the company. 
So <clears throat> that kind of judgmentalism is worth avoiding. Negativity being always negative. Uh, so, you know, oh, the sun's out, oh, it's going to rain later. Oh, you know, it's, it's tiring to be around somebody who's eternally yeah. negative. So th there's a good little check-in on this one. You just do an inventory for yourself and ask, how often do you w use the words no or not? Because they tend to be the it's indicators. Yeah. Then another one, complaining, uh, which is what I call viral misery. Uh, it's kind of the British national pastime, really. <laughs> and I don't think Israelis probably complain as much as British people. But um, We love we... to complain, Julian. Allow me to. Uh, maybe we can have a competition. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, maybe there's a world championship in we the offing then. <laughs> we love to have fun as well. So I guess, yeah. But okay. I think so I mean, obviously, complain if you get a if you get a, a bad yeah. dish in a restaurant and you can send it back. Complain, yes, 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 but not about the weather or things you can't change. You know that that's just wasting everybody's time and it's negative. Um, then exaggeration. I'm a a great opponent of language inflation, by which I mean this increasing intensity in the language so you know once upon a time it used to be okay to be excited about something yeah. now you have to be super excited about it and maybe in a few years we'll have to be yeah. hyper excited because super excited isn't enough so we kind of lose the value of words especially words like for example awesome which means filled with awe or is fear and wonder a pair of trainers really do that to you <laughs> a pizza uh, you know, no, I don't think so. That word has lost all all its original meaning, and sadly, so we're kind of dumbing down the language by this language inflation, this exaggeration. And of course, if we get into the habit of exaggerating all the time, where everything's got to be really very hyper, this, that, and the other, it loses impact, and it tends to move into lying as well. That's just next door, and we have to be careful there. Um, I should mention, if you don't mind, I used to work mm. with uh, with a German um, executive, actually the ex CMO of Adidas, and he worked with some of my colleagues, and he was very upset because he said people are like exaggerating and they're kind of, I would cautiously say, over promising, under delivering. That's how we he um, see, saw it, even though it wasn't the case. So even the cultural uh, differences here, it, it's really important to, to put attention on. So if you're exaggerating, maybe it's a part of your culture, but would the other person accept it as, as you know, a firm, um, you know, saying, or would it see it as an exaggeration? There is a great exercise here, which is very challenging for anybody to do. And that is to say exactly what you mean for a day or an hour, even without yeah. hyperbole, without varies, reallys, fantastics, amazings, whatever saying exactly what you mean because we all know it's much better to yeah. under promise and over deliver people are very happy if you do that whereas if enthusiasm gets the better of you and you over promise and under deliver you end up with endlessly dissatisfied clients or friends or whoever it might be maybe so that's exaggeration uh, then next door to that, we have uh, blaming um, other people. Um, we have excuses. So, mm. you know, some people are blame throwers. It's never their fault. Something mm. else, somebody else. If it's never your fault and you don't make any mistakes, you're going to learn nothing. Yeah. Mistakes are incredibly important for learning things. And we have to watch out for that tendency to swerve the blame and to put it on somebody else. Much simpler to say, I, I messed up. This is what I did, and this is what I'm doing to make sure I don't do that again, so I've learned a lesson. 
and then you grow and you move on. And after all, an organization which is intolerant of mistakes, and uh, there are many, unfortunately, like that, is not a healthy organization because mistakes very often give rise to wonderful outcomes. I mean, we all know the story about post-it notes where the intention was to make a really strong glue and they failed and they came up with post-it notes, a very weak glue. So, you know, sometimes mistakes can yield new openings and very often they do, as long as you're not making the same mistake over and over again, of course, that's definitely not a good thing. And then finally, we we have dogma my way or the highway, confusing opinions with facts. Now, this is what we see on the internet all the time. This is one of the most pernicious things that social media and this connection that we all have, uh, where we can go off and validate our opinion with lots of other people, and it kind of solidifies into a a fact. It's true. Well, no, it's just your opinion. And it's really crucial to be conscious of that difference otherwise we have conflict the whole time and that kind of conflict can end up in wars we've seen with you know mr putin who's got a very strange opinion not a fact about the history of ukraine and about the history of russia and who's right to do what and that's determining this ridiculous conflict that he's started Uh, and it's not a fact It's a warping of history, which has been, you know, fed to him. And of course, again, I think he's a great example of what happens if you surround yourself with people who are not going to challenge you at all. Yeah. You, you, you become, you, you end up in a bunker of a solidified set of opinions and you never hear a countervailing um, answer at all. You know, it's quite possible. He doesn't know how badly the war is going because nobody dares to tell him. So, uh, I think, you know, very important to be open to bad news, very important not to be dogmatic and thump the table when people say something you don't like. Uh, and, uh, okay. you know, there's a, there's a great uh, <laughs> paradigm of, of um, active listening, which has got two parts. Part one, reflect. So what I heard you say is this. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Part two is the important part. I don't agree with what you said at all but I can understand why you think that. That's called validation. And that is the secret to defusing conflicts. And, you know, possibly even entrenched conflicts like the one in your country. Yeah. These, these are the ways that we are going to resolve these by saying to people, I don't agree with you, but I can see why you think that. That's suddenly making, yeah, it's, it's making a human connection. It's not casting people out and saying you're wrong you're evil you're bad you're you know whatever it is judging them like that it's saying all right no i don't agree i can see your position can you see mine now let's talk about a way that we can resolve something together so it's kind of acknowledging each other's humanity everybody has got different listening everybody has got a different perspective and they believe what they believe for a good reason generally and it's if we deny that reason, then we're denying them uh, as as a person. And that is what fuels so many conflicts in families, in countries around the world. And I have to say that all those seven points that you mentioned 
I believe it, it can free us from, again, from old habits or from narrow, you know, sight or narrow point of views and really make us better people, better listeners, maybe more fulfilled, get results, personal or professional, much better than, than we do. So I really take into, you know, take, take seriously what you just mentioned. Can you please repeat those seven, the seven points? So you've got yeah. um, gossip. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, judgmentalism or condemnation. Uh, you've got negativity. You've got complaining. Yeah. You've got exaggeration. Uh, you've got excuses. And you've got dogmatism. Those are the seven. Very, very important. Thank you so much. I hope you wrote it and listened to it. Now, in one of your TED, TED Talks, you, you raised a question. You said, do architects have ears? You were talking about um, how um, the fact that architects or the place of work where we work doesn't really support our ability to be productive. So can so how can professionals or again work um, you know bosses for example use sound to create more engaging and productive work environments and get into a flow or focused uh, deep work um, states to help their employees to, to get there? I think it's uh, it's fascinating. There was a, a study called the Organizational Listening Project, which found that most organizations are abject at listening. And that kind of reflects both internally and externally. Uh, and sound can be very powerful in both of those dimensions. So uh, let's start with externally, because when you say communication to a company, most people think about advertising, PR, social media, outbound, sending again, not receiving. So it's very important to have a mechanism for receiving feedback from people, which is much easier to do now with Twitter, Facebook and so forth uh, than it used to be. Uh, or, you know, forums on your web page, chat, uh, GPT, of course, AI based, um, you know, interactions with people where they feel that they're being heard and responded to uh, rather better than, you know, my health insurance company. I'm a customer. I, I phoned them with a question yesterday. I, I was on the phone for an hour and 10 minutes before somebody answered. Uh, that's not listening. <laughs> That's having a completely insufficient, uh, you know, uh, sales call center with not enough people for the calls. Um, so listening to the customers and then speaking in ways which are appropriate by segmenting demographics, understanding them, you know, really understanding their needs. That's a vital part of using sound. And that may involve things like having a sonic logo a little sound that introduces your business. So if you think of some of the famous ones in the world, like Intel, da, 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 everybody knows that. Yeah. I don't think many people could draw Intel's logo, uh, but a lot of people could sing it. And that logo actually is worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the company. It's on their, um, it's, it's on their balance sheet as such. Yeah. Um, so there are many organizations now which have very powerful Sonic logos. Lots don't though. They haven't thought about it at all. And then you've got sound of, oh, it could be anything, your corporate reception. You know, I walk into corporate receptions very often with a, tele a, a TV set on the wall, a screen mm -hmm. on the wall, showing news on a commercial station, which then has advertising, which may have competitive brands advertising in your own reception. And news, is it good news? No, it's always bad news, isn't it? So what's the point of, you know, giving people bad news and thinking that's going to create good meetings? Yeah. So why not have something about your business on the wall? 
good stories about your business instead of bad news from the, the rest of the world. Uh, so th this is just like not thinking about the oral environment we're creating for people, or there may be pop music playing because the receptionist is bored and is playing their own favorite pop music, which may have nothing to do with the yeah. brand value <laughs> that um, the organization has. Um, so it's little things like that that make a big, big difference. Obviously, the sound on we now have most companies have YouTube. So videos have got sound. What's the voice? Is yeah. it the right voice for your company? Is it is it consistent? Great brands to me are all about consistency. And yeah. most brands now are very inconsistent in the sound that they perpetrate. The music they choose, maybe film by film, without yeah. thinking about, is this on our brand? Can so some case studies, sorry, from your customers, how you change their, um, their company through the power of sound? Absolutely. Uh, and we did uh, a wonderful piece recently for an American insurance company. Mm -hmm. um, where their brand was very much about sunshine and um, we actually went to nasa and mm -hmm. got a recording of the sound of the sun now it's not, not often known that suns stars actually ring like bells and this is one of the things I'm, i've ah. written about in my next book which is due out next year called everything is sound which is about the wonders of sound so you can take the sound of a star yeah. and you have to pitch shift it up because the the sound that stars make is very low frequency but you can pitch shift it up into the audible spectrum and we took that sound and then used it to create a sonic logo which without prompting people in testing said it sounds so sunny and warm and so forth wow. which is really interesting um, so it's great fun making these sounds that actually resonate with brand values in that way it's not just coming up with a, a little bing bong, which is sometimes we'll, what we get asked for. Yeah. And we say, that's not what we do. Um, so that kind of thing. And then brand music, you know, you can create music um, soundscapes in, in retail. We, we work for uh, Majid Al-Fatim across the Middle East. They own Mall of the Emirates and Mall of Egypt and Mall of Amman and so forth. These huge shopping malls and dozens of others. And we've created, I think, four dozen different soundscapes for them it's not yeah. music it's a a texture which is designed to be a, li a little bit like white walls in a room yeah. you don't come in and go wow look at the white walls but they're just doing a lovely job of making the room feel bright and clean and you yeah. know light and so forth well the soundscapes that we create uh, use a technology called mood sonic which i was yeah. instrumental in launching um which is generative in other mm. words, it's made live by a computer. It's not a recording. Yeah. And it's lots of nature-based generally, uh, lots of natural sounds because we're so disconnected from the natural yeah. world. And the research shows that these sounds are good for us. They're good for us. Sounds of birdsong, running water, gentle wind, these kind of sounds. Yeah, like the frequency, their frequencies, sorry, of love and frequency of health. I, you know, you see on YouTube a lot of like, there's, you know, maybe meditation music around frequencies that keeps you calm or provoke the, such good emotions. Yes, I'm, I'm not so convinced by the science behind those things, but okay. if it works for any of you, then, you know, absolutely great because we're all different. Uh, uh, you know, it's like people often say to me, I, you know, what should I, what sound should I use for working? That's completely up to you. Just test different things. I mean, mm -hmm. for me, silence. And for a lot of people, silence, which is why uh, now we can move on maybe to talk about sound in workspaces. You know, in offices, open plan has become the, the, the paradigm across the world. There's something like 6 billion square feet of 
yeah. open plan office now across the world. We're open planning everything. It's not always appropriate. Sometimes people need offices for confidential conversations. And sometimes people need quiet space in order to think when they're writing or doing calculations. Being in an open plan office next to a noisy team who are, you know, maybe a bunch of creatives who like to have a boombox on and are jumping about and having a great time creating things, don't put your accountancy team next to them. Yeah. That's not going to work because they'll go nuts. They're trying to think, they're trying to do numbers, they're trying to be quiet and concentrate. Yeah. So we, we've lost this, you know, uh, understanding there are different sorts of work. It is starting to be seen now. There's a thing called activity-based working where offices design different types of workspace and then encourage people to move themselves to the right kind of workspace for what they want to do, whether it's quiet working, collaboration, uh, you know, decompression, social, you know, water cooler type conversations, whatever it might be. Uh, we can encourage those things by creating spaces for them. It's not one size fits all. Now, open plan is great for certain things, yeah. but it is not good for solo concentrated working. And so, again, in, in offices, we can install sound that yeah. reduces the impact of that by blurring the voices of people who are more than a few meters away. Yeah. It's not going to stop the distracting effect of somebody standing right behind you talking about their great night out. And we have no earlids. We are programmed to decode yeah. language so it's very difficult to listen to the voice in your head if that if you're hearing that person behind you and that's why we get this reaction do you, do you, can you be quiet i'm trying to think here yeah. you know that instinctive reaction you can't understand two voices at the same time yeah. so that voice behind you takes over the space you need and I well think we can so important. We, yeah sorry I, 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 yeah just to finish we can we can reduce that by introducing what's called masking sound that Again, I would suggest nature-based uh, running water is very good at masking sibilance, which is how we understand language, S and T in, in particular, s -t, mm -hmm. those sounds. Uh, without the consonants, it's very oh. difficult to understand people and it's not so distracting. So we can install lovely health-giving health natural soundscapes in offices, in shops, in uh, hospitals, in schools, which will really enhance productivity and well-being at the same time. That's that's so important, you know, because in a world that really in a work world that really, you know, admires or, or you know, persists on productivity and efficiency and, you know, get things on time and KPIs and OKR and all those words. How can you um, make want people to, to do this in the right timing or constraints where you don't give them the right environment to do so? So, I mean, what you're saying on the one hand, it makes so much sense. But on the other hand, if you look at many companies, I would say this does not exist there. They, they're conscious of that. This is not, you know, actually practically there. So this is such an important point for everybody who listens and watches this uh, this show to really see how you can incorporate that. Um, before we finish, I have, I would say, two quick questions for you. One is about, you know, the, the generative AI revolutions. And as you mentioned earlier, we are visual creatures. We we prefer to see and, and, and sense the world, many of us, not everybody, I guess, through through a vision. Um, what is what does the future hold for, for sound and its role in shaping business landscape through, again, AI and, and innovative uh, tools? 
Yeah, we're about to see a, a huge change there, a, a, sea, a sea change, actually, because it's more natural for us to speak and listen than it is to read and write. And yeah. we are now going to be able to do that. I mean, we've already seen smart speakers uh, ruling the world in the last couple of years. I'm sure many of the people listening to this have smart speakers in their home already. Well, they're pretty dumb at the moment. But when you start to add AI into a, a voice recognition system and a speech synthesis system, then uh, we have a different way. It's more like Jarvis from Iron Man, where you can actually have a real conversation with an entity that's not reading pre-written pre, um, scripts, but is actually responding in real time. And, you know, again, ChatGPT has shown what that can do in text. Well, that moves on very, very soon into spoken. And it won't be long before you're, you're phoning, uh, like I tried to do yesterday to my health uh, provider, and you'll instantly get through because you're talking to an AI. And you won't even know because they'll be so realistic and they'll be able to deal with your query or, you know, if they can't, they'll very quickly say, I'm going to have to put you through to a human being. So I think we're going to see a transformation in our relationship with the Internet, with communicating with organizations, uh, which will be in sound. Uh, so it's so much easier to have an artificial intelligent agent yeah. uh, in my device where I can say, Fred, uh, I want to go to Brazil next week. Could you book flights for Wednesday? Um, and I, can you book that nice restaurant I went to last time and see if mm -hmm. Jose's uh, able to come? That's all, just natural language. No credit cards, pin numbers, you know, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. It will do all of that for us. So it becomes a gatekeeper, which is a really important thing for marketing. How do we get through the gatekeeper? And the other big question is who's going to own that interface mm -hmm. will it be microsoft google apple uh, or somebody else will we be able to own it uh, will it be their voice or can we customize it there's lots of questions about this and of course you know that's leaving aside the big question of agi and you know the moment that actually becomes real will it tolerate our existence at all um you know the old paradigm of excuse me, the, the old paradigm of, um, you know, telling it to maximize paperclip production, then it wipes out people because it yeah. considers that we're uh, irrelevant and getting in the way of it. So, yeah. you know, we've got to be very careful with this. I'm a big fan of going slowly and I'm, I'm behind Musk and, and the other people who are saying, whoa, 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 really, yeah. let's, let's think very carefully about this because once you let the genie out of the bottle on this, we can't put it back. Yeah. And as you said, obviously, there's so much, um, you know, issues around it. Yuval Noah Harari, um, also uh, the futurist uh, historian, sorry, um, also writes a lot about this and just published an article a few days ago uh, saying that you should be, as you said, stopped or taken more slowly because, um, as you said, like if, if today, let's say I could sweet talk a gatekeeper, um, I won't be able to sweet talk or, you know, get around um, a conversation with an AI. And I think, you know, that, that's a whole... A whole topic, but we need to understand that we probably, as you said, will communicate more with with such technologies, and how can we use it to your benefit? And hopefully, uh, this won't, you know, con consume us in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And I think maybe one more thing from your, you know, you've been in this in the sound business and and you know and, and a musician for many many years. Would there be any uh, one advice that you wish you would have given yourself, or you would have, you could have got earlier in life about how to use sound um in your life and business 
Yes, I think the answer is uh, getting vocal training. You know, I've obviously done that now. I've I've had many, many days of vocal training because it's part of my life to go and speak at conferences and for companies uh, on the stages. Um, and, you know, in my course, I talk about three things, PPD, practice, prepare, deliver. So yeah. practice is practicing the skill of public speaking. I wish I'd done that earlier. Uh, and prepare is preparing a talk. So being skilled and coached in a mm -hmm. particular uh, delivery, perhaps, and then delivering, you know, knowing things like uh, there's a little acronym I use when I walk on stage, which is BESS. Breathe. Mm -hmm. Nice deep breath. Your voice is just breath. Expand your awareness to see the whole room, ideally, so you're not frowning and focusing on one person, which can make them feel pretty uncomfortable. Uh, stance. I imagine a string attached to the top of my head and everything dangling from that string, which gives you automatically a really nice, relaxed, uh, neutral stance. And then smile. Hello, everybody. And you get smiles back and everybody thinks, oh, this is a nice, confident person. Here we go. This is going to be good. So knowing things like that, that would have helped a lot in the very early days when I was pitching my my business and being an entrepreneur and so forth. I mean, obviously, one gets good at these things. And after a while, I mean, I was standing in front of company after company and selling and selling and selling. And you do get much, much better just by practicing on your own. Mm -hmm. But getting training, that's the biggest tip I would give to the entrepreneurs uh, listening to this is go get some formal vocal training to maximize this amazing instrument that you have and it will transform your outcomes in life so important you gave us such important tips and practical ways to really use our voice better to listen better to to really i would say again we do it all the time we listen we speak all the time but for, for me, this conversation really um, emphasized the importance and the, the, um, just the awareness of how do I use my sound? How do I listen to other people? Uh, Julian also gave you a challenge to really listen deeply to someone right after you, uh, you watch uh, this interview. So Julian Treasure, expert on sound, I want to thank you so much for, again, sharing this time with me, to sharing all your amazing tips and lessons and, and examples. This has been truly inspiring and mind-opening. So thank you so much for, for sharing. Well, thank you for having me. It's been, <laughs> been a great pleasure. Thank you. Same here. And, and I want to make sure that our viewers and listeners, of course, if you want to contact Julian or, or even again, learn more from, from, from his uh, knowledge. So of course, you can visit his website, thesoundagency.com. Five TED Talks. Uh, the one you recommend to start with would be the four ways sound affect us, but there are, of course, others. And on LinkedIn, Julian Treasure. Thanks so much. And um, yeah, I want to thank you again for watching the Leroy Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business marketing in communication in a hybrid world. You can subscribe to the channel, leave your comments, um, and I'll see you next time. Thanks and goodbye. And thanks again, Julia. Thank you.